So we're starting a new series today focusing on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, Philippians has always been one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's been a few years since I've preached through Philippians, but, but why do we need it now? Well, because things in our world feel heavy. Tensions are high. Fear is real. Situation in the Middle East is everybody on edge, if you watch the news. Not to mention just the basic things in life that keep us stressed out on a regular basis to begin with, right? I think Philippians is a great book for us to study right now. In a world where people are very divided, very angry, Philippians talks about unity. In a world where people are very selfish and self-absorbed, Philippians talks about humility. In a world where we often focus and dwell on what's happened in the past and we hold grudges against people, Philippians talks about pressing ahead and moving forward. In a world where we're often distracted, Philippians talks about being very careful and choosing our focus. And in a time where we complain a lot and we take a lot of things for granted that we shouldn't, Philippians talks about the importance of gratitude and acknowledging the many blessings that we have. Written around 63 AD, it's one of Paul's letters from prison, uh, probably one of the most unique letters of Paul because he was writing to, uh, not to talk about doctrinal issues, but he's basically writing to say thank you to the people of Philippi for supporting his missionary journey, and he's staying in touch with them. The words joy and peace appear 16 times throughout the letter, and so this is one of the main themes that Paul drives home. The church at Philippi was the earliest church that Paul started on the continent of Europe, and he visited it on at least two different occasions that we know about. It's a short letter, four chapters. You can knock it out this afternoon uh, if you want, but I encourage you to read it. And perhaps the greatest lesson from Philippians is Paul's challenge for us to live like Christ, to model his humility, and then he reminds us that no matter what happens, no matter what you've been through this week or this month or tomorrow or next week, you get to choose your attitude and you get to choose how you're going to respond and nobody can take that away from you. So I'm titling this new series, How to Build a Life, because all of us, no matter who we are, are building our lives. Now you might say to yourself, I've already built my life. I've already raised my family, raised my children, established my, my company, I've made my friends, perhaps but you're still building your life each and every day with the decisions that you make. You, you, you're, you're still making choices that have to do with your priorities and you're sending a message to your children, to your spouse, to your friends about what is most important and what is not as important. In the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> Jesus tells us that the, the wise man built his house on rock. And when the rains came and the winds blew, it stood because it was founded on the rock. But the foolish man builds his house on shifting sand. And when the rains came and the winds blew, it fell. And the Bible says, great was its fall. What's the difference? I think that's what Paul is answering in this short epistle. Here's the difference of how you build your life on rock or build your life on shifting sand. And Paul tells us that our priorities 
and our mindset matters. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what you do for a living, your priorities and your mindset matters. Now, I'm also recommending a few books, okay? I mentioned Farrell's book. Get this, especially if you want a devotional guide. The other book that I'm gonna lift up is a book by Arthur Brooks and Oprah Winfrey. Um, Arthur wrote this book, Oprah has a few pages in it, but she's got her name on it, right? But this book is called Build the Life You Want. And it's actually interesting, I haven't read all of Farrell's, but some of it, and it's, uh, it's very uh, tied together in terms of thinking about, are you living the life you wanna live? Are you doing the things you wanna do? Are you surrounding yourself with the people that you want to surround yourself with? And, and, and so there's this one quote where, where Brooks and Oprah say, you too can become the boss of your own life and not just an observer. You can learn to choose how you react to negative circumstances and select emotions that might make you happier even when you get a bad hand. You can focus your energy not on trivial distractions, but on the basic pillars that bring enduring satisfaction and meaning. So, so that's what I want this series to be about between, between now and Thanksgiving. What are the things that you are focusing your life on? What are your priorities? How are you spending your time, your money, your, your thoughts? What are your emotions like? Uh, if you say that your faith is important, then does it show? If you say that your family is important, then do you spend quality time with them on a regular basis? Um, if you say that you're a moral person, do you make moral decisions? If you say your friendships are important, do you invest in them intentionally? Who are your friends? Who would you call if you were in a bind? Are you grateful for your blessings? Do you experience joy on a regular basis? Do you focus on the right things? Are you always envious of other people? These are the kinds of questions that we're gonna ask and answer today and in the coming weeks as we study uh, Philippians. So I want you to read it. If you don't have a Bible, I wanna give you one. We have them back at the uh, welcome desk. It's yours, it's a gift from Woodmont. And, um, and I want you to take time on your own to, to read it. <clears throat> now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute. I want you to sit back, close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. I want you to think about where you grew up. Maybe it was here in Nashville or somewhere else. What was your childhood like? What was your family like? Think about the house you lived in. What were your hopes and dreams for how your life would turn out? Where did you go to college if you went to college? Or graduate school if you went to graduate school? What did you study? Did you know what you wanted to do? Did you know where you wanted to live or end up? What were your plans as you looked ahead? Now you could open your eyes. I grew up in Memphis, son of a minister, oldest of four children. Grew up in a great family. My, my dad was from Florida. My mom was from Paris, Tennessee. She was a teacher. I have fond memories of my childhood. I played sports, football, basketball, uh, baseball, golf. Um, I loved high school football, still do by the way. Uh, went to TCU for college, probably the only religion major to ever be president of a fraternity uh, anywhere. Uh, made some great friends, still have them to this day. I was torn in college between law school and seminary, was planning to go to Vanderbilt and do both, but I ended up going to Princeton Seminary, gave ministry my first go, studied hard, worked at a church in New York City for a few years, lived in Switzerland for a little while, then was back in Memphis and I, and I moved to Nashville 
interviewed for this job when I was 26 and started here at 27. That was 16 years ago in August. Lived at the parsonage as a bachelor. <laughs> Tough place to date. <laughs> I met Megan. We got married in 2009. Had three children. What about your life? What's your story? How did the things that you experienced and lived through make you who you are today? What, what types of setbacks and disappointments have you faced? Uh, who have you lost along the way? What, what, who have you lost touch with along the way? Every decision we make plays a role in the life we build. Sometimes we make good decisions, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have the right priorities, sometimes we don't. All of us want to live a life that matters, a life that is significant, a life that leaves the world a better place than we found it. But if we're honest, life usually doesn't turn out the way we thought it would. But we all get to build the life we want. So what does it look like to live a meaningful life? A life of purpose and intention. The first thing that I want to say is that to live a meaningful life, and we're just starting this week with this conversation, your life must be grounded in faith. Why? Because if you don't have faith, when things happen that rock you to your core, you're not really sure how you're gonna get through it. All of us can think back to things that we have lived through or gone through that we didn't choose and that we didn't see coming. But when you live in faith, you trust that God will give you the strength to get through it. I, I didn't say that God causes everything that you go through in life. I just said that God will give you the strength and the support and the community to get through it. But here's the interesting thing. Many people want faith for the hard times but then when life is good again, they tend to drift away and they believe that they can handle everything on their own. Many people think that they are self-made, self-sufficient until they go through a storm that brings them to their knees. But faith has to be cultivated and nurtured all the time. We can't just turn to God when we are desperate and turn away from God when things are fine. You know, as Christians, the way that we live a life of faith is to pay very close attention to how Jesus taught us to live. And many of Jesus' teachings, if we're honest, are countercultural, meaning they are not the norm. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a tough one. Jesus said, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, forgive 70 times seven. Jesus said, Take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Yes, they're nice, but that's not your life. Jesus said, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick. The way you treat the least of these is the way you treat me. Don't act one way around the important people in a different way around other people. Be consistent with who you are so that people can trust you and know that you are authentic. See, Jesus shows us what it means to live a life of faith and a life of service, but we have to pay attention. We have to listen, and then we have to act. 
The second pillar for living a meaningful life based on Philippians is that you have to be humble. Life will absolutely humble every single one of us many times over. But when you meet certain people, you wouldn't know it. You think that they have it all figured out, but nobody has it all figured out. Philippians 2, Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Now, do you think that those words describe the culture in which we live today? Do, do those words describe the way that most people live their lives? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Regard others as better than yourselves. Look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. There's a, there's a poem or a song in chapter two that refers to the incarnation and it kind of serves as the basis of this entire epistle. And Paul, it's debatable whether he wrote it or just included it, but, but he writes this, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, sometimes I find myself looking around our culture and wondering, you know, what, what happened to humility? What happened to the idea that we are not the center of the universe? Um, Jesus spent all of his time in teaching, reminding us that life is about living for others. Life is, is about serving others denying self, but, but that's not the culture that we find ourselves in. That's not the mindset that we see demonstrated day in and day out. That's, those aren't the commercials that you're watching on the news at night. It's about what you deserve, what you should have, and you should have it now. But what happened to humility? Humility. Andrew Murray, a great spiritual writer, wants to find humility this way. He said, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It's to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I'm blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around me is trouble. You ever feel like that? All around you is trouble. How do you find that calm? Thomas Merton said, pride makes us artificial, but humility keeps us real. Hemingway said, there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility comes in being superior to your former self. Now, one of the most well-known passages of scripture in the Bible, the words of the prophet Micah. Remember what Micah said? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. 
Jesus tells us the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember this one? They went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. The guy was just telling God how great he is, right? But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven. He was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. And then what did Jesus say? For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility and faith go hand in hand. The last thought I'll leave you with this morning as we begin this series is that living a meaningful life, living a life that's full of purpose and intentionality, means recognizing that real joy comes from relationships. And Paul talks a lot about joy in Philippians. It's been said before that we are supposed to love people and use things. But how many people do you know love things and use people? We get it backwards. You know, the world can be really superficial. The, the world can often feel like it's just driven by money and status and success. And whoever has the most of all that stuff wins. But joy comes from our relationships with each other. Jonathan Haidt, who has a book coming out next year, you know, he said there's three theories of happiness. He said the first is that joy uh, comes from getting stuff, achieving. He said, yeah, that's true, but it's short-lived. Then it's the Buddhist mindset. Joy comes from within. You block out all your desire. He says, yeah, yeah, that, you know, that's okay. But what he concludes, and I agree with him, is no, joy comes from between. It comes from the network and the web that you weave with your family, your friends, and the people that you love, period. And one day when you look back on your life and you think about the things you've accomplished and the things you've done, the only thing that's really gonna matter is your faith and the people that you loved. That's it. I've known many people who are really rich, really successful, very admired, but they're lonely because they don't know how to invest in relationships. And sometimes the things that get sacrificed as we seek success and achievement are the relationships. The workaholic that misses all their kids' games. It's not worth it. Balance is worth it. You know, the saddest part about the conflict going on in the Middle East, and we did a panel this past week on it, are the many innocent lives that have been lost in both Israel and in Gaza because a small portion of radical people don't want to live in peace. But even in the midst of that, there are people who have children and families, and despite the tension that's always present, they just want to live their lives in peace. And they don't get the chance. So shouldn't we who live in a great country, not perfect, but we don't have rockets flying over our heads today. If 
find a way to enjoy the people we love and live a life of meaning. Amen.